Are you tired of your digestive system feeling like a circus act gone wrong? Introducing Ritual's 3-in-1 Gut Superhero Symbiotic Plus, a probiotic, prebiotic, and postbiotic all rolled into one. And with 25% off with the code POWER, there's no better time to check out Ritual. Let's break it down. Probiotics are like the cool kids at the gut party, keeping everything in check and making sure the good vibes are flowing. Prebiotics are their wingmen, fueling the party with all the right snacks to keep the good bacteria thriving. And postbiotics, well, they're like the cleanup crew, sweeping away the mess and leaving your gut feeling fresh and fabulous. So say goodbye to the gut drama and remember, there's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com power. Tossing and turning all night like a salad? It's time to put those sleepless nights to bed for good. Enter Tanasi, my sleep saviors, and they have science to back up their sleep, anxiety, and pain-relieving powers. Back in 2016, they invested a $2.5 million grant to Middle Tennessee State University to study the hemp plant. Turns out their special patent-pending CBD-CBDA formula is twice as effective as CBD alone and can be more effective than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. So if you're tired of tossing and turning like a rotisserie chicken, then Tanasi's got your back with their range of great products from tinctures to gummies to lotions. Tanasi is my go-to when I can't sleep or I have way too much anxiety. I'm so glad that I discovered them. So go to Tanasi.com and use the code POWER to get 25% off your order. That's Tanasi.com, T-A-N-A-S-I, to get 25% off your first order with the promo code POWER. Sober Powered is sponsored by BetterHelp. I was a stress drinker, and I thought, if only I didn't have so much stress, I wouldn't have to drink this much. But do you know why I had all this stress? Because I didn't have the skills to take stressors off my plate, so they built up and wore me down. Some stressors are big and others are small, but carrying around 25 minor annoyances is going to have an impact on you. Plus, did you know that alcohol messes with our stress response system and decreases our ability to handle stress? It makes small things seem like a much bigger deal. Learning how to manage stress and take things off my plate has changed my life. I'm calm, I'm less reactive, and I believe that I can handle whatever comes my way. I feel proud of the way that I handle things now. You can get there too. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com sober to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. I'm Jill, and this is the Sober Powered Podcast. I'll tell you how I finally stopped chasing the buzz and what I've learned along the way. Welcome back to the Sober Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and if you're new here, I'm a sober scientist who talks about the science and psychology of addiction. If that sounds interesting, please subscribe. Today, I'm going to talk about the different defense mechanisms that a problem drinker or alcoholic will use to continue drinking. So I'll discuss denial, rationalization, minimization, and projection. 
and how being in denial changes the connectivity between parts of a drinker's brain, actually reducing their self-awareness. So you'll learn about how each defense mechanism shows up in a drinker's life and what it means to be a dry drunk. I will end the podcast by talking about how to move through these various defense mechanisms. So let's dig in. Problem drinkers and alcoholics will often underestimate how much they're drinking, their ability to control their drinking, and the impact that their drinking has on their health. People in denial are more likely to quit without assistance, which in many cases leads back to relapse. One study found that 61% of people who don't seek help for their drinking think that they don't actually have a drinking problem. So what that means to me is that these people will likely continue to drink until their drinking escalates to a point where they can no longer deny it, but who knows how many years that's going to take. So denial is considered a defense mechanism. Sometimes denial can be broken when confronted with the facts, like a health scare, but other times even sickness won't help the person acknowledge that their drinking is a problem. The idea behind denial is that fully acknowledging our alcohol problem would be so detrimental to us that we have to misinterpret, minimize, or even completely forget the facts. It helps us avoid painful realities and facing the problems that we've caused from our drinking. So denial is like looking for immediate reward despite potential long-term consequences. So it's really similar to drinking, which is worrying about right now and not thinking about your future self. So denial has a very similar type of reward. So psychology identifies denial as the primary defense mechanism that most of us use to cope with incredibly stressful situations. It usually involves blocking events from our awareness because we refuse to experience it. It doesn't make the situation go away, but it reduces its impact on us for the moment because we pretend that it's not real. Sometimes denial can actually be beneficial, though. It can allow you to ease into a very painful truth, like a death, instead of having it hit you all at once. However, there's really nothing healthy about denying an alcohol problem. That just keeps us stuck in the cycle for longer and unable to get the help that we need. A big contributor to denial is the stigma that's associated with having a problem with drinking. Admitting addiction, even just to ourselves, comes with a lot of pain and shame. Just the word alcoholic is super cringy. When I first quit, others would call me an alcoholic, not in a mean way. And they'd also refer to my addiction Really, they were just making assumptions that because I had to quit drinking, I'm an alcoholic and I have an addiction. But really what people should be doing is, unless I refer to myself that way, you shouldn't either. So we shouldn't just label people. When others would do this to me, it made me feel really uncomfortable. I don't enjoy being labeled. And just the word alcoholic itself comes with a ton of shame associated with it. It makes us feel like we have no control over ourselves, we cause others pain, we're a loser, and just generally a bad person. Having other people know about our problem is also really shameful. I was okay with with close family, friends, and even complete strangers knowing, 
But what made me the most uncomfortable was coworkers and family members that I'm not close to. I just started a new job this week, and I can't help but wonder how my new coworkers will react if and when they find out. And that's not because I'm not proud of myself for getting sober. I'm super proud. But it's because there's a lot of shame associated with having to get sober, and I don't want people to be uncomfortable around me or treat me differently for it. So I'll see what happens when others find out, and I'll let you guys know how that goes. Denial explains why drinking continues, even when there are really negative consequences like losing a job, getting a DUI, or having a health scare. If someone's in denial, then they're going to minimize all of these experiences or start playing the victim. Unfortunately, many people who struggle with addiction will also suffer from victim mentality. I think that victim mentality is extremely dangerous for our well-being. It's everyone else's fault, so it absolves the person of any responsibility for their situation so they don't have to work to improve it. You can spend your entire life blaming and complaining, but in the end, your life isn't going to get any better. Even if you were victimized and hurt by others, spending years blaming and complaining isn't going to improve your life. Sometimes we just have to accept that some really terrible people caused us pain and we won't find closure from it. We have to learn to pick up the pieces and move on with our lives. Staying stuck in victim mentality allows the people who hurt you to win. They've moved on with their lives and we refuse to by staying in this mentality. So if you have trouble with this, again, highly recommend therapy. A therapist can help you let go of your resentment and and just move on with your life. I I have been hurt by a lot of people over the course of my life and I just learned really young that closure isn't a thing that exists and you just have to accept that sometimes people are just horrible people and you will never understand their motivation or their thought process for doing what they do and you just learn to move on. So it's really important to not live in victim mentality. It's so exhausting and it's so harmful and it's harmful to your sobriety too. A 2002 study of people in treatment for alcohol dependence found that participants who were found to have more denial about their drinking problem actually had lower performance on tests of executive functioning, memory, and processing speed than participants who had less denial. And there were several similar studies for cocaine, meth, and marijuana. So it's believed that the insula and cingulate both contribute to our self-awareness and our ability to recognize that we have made an error performing a task. These parts of the brain form a network that detects inconsistencies in ourselves or in the environment, and it activates other brain regions for further processing. So remember, we talked a lot about the insula and cingulate and how they relate to cravings in episode two. The insula is involved in conscious desires, like the search for food and drugs, but it also connects emotions to sensory experiences. And the cingulate converts feelings into actions. It's involved in a lot of higher order cognition, 
such as controlling our emotions, concentrating on solving problems, recognizing our mistakes, and making adaptive responses to changing conditions. Interestingly, a 2015 study of people addicted to meth found that people who had a lot of denial also exhibited less connection between their cingulate and insula with the frontal lobe, limbic system, and cerebellum. So people who had more denial also had lower performance on memory and executive functioning tests than meth addicts who were not in denial. So that's the same as the 2002 study. So the ability for these meth addicts to consider their substance use potentially problematic and in need of change was positively associated with connectivity between the cingulate and insula with the rest of the brain. So what this means is that living in a state of denial actually reduces your ability for the parts of your brain that govern emotional response, self-awareness, and error perception to communicate with the parts of the brain that process information and create problem-solving actions. I think this is really interesting because the perception of people with drug and alcohol problems is that we're weak-willed and selfish. But what this research demonstrates is that the changes in the brain that occur when someone abuses drugs and alcohol also change our ability to have self-awareness. So the more denial we're in about our drinking, the more the connection between the parts of the brain that control self-awareness and problem solving are disrupted. By recognizing that we do actually have a problem, it allows our brain to slowly restore connectivity so we can process how our drinking and drug use is actually affecting our lives. If you hang out in online sober communities, you may have heard of something called dry drunk syndrome. So this is a phenomenon that occurs when someone does get sober but still lives in denial. So it would show up as the following mindset. Once I stop drinking, life will be perfect. So they don't accept that giving up alcohol or drugs is just the beginning of their journey and that fixing their life, it will actually require work. If I stay sober long enough, then I'll be able to moderate my drinking. I suffered from this belief a lot, and if you listen to episode 9, then you know exactly what happened there. Another mindset that you'll see with dry drunk syndrome is terminal uniqueness. So this means that the person thinks they're different from everyone else, and what works for others won't work for them. So this means they're likely going to refuse any type of support to recover. I see this a lot in Facebook groups. The person will post complaining about something and everyone will offer suggestions on how they can get support and fix their problem. The poster will then have an objection to every single suggestion, even if they've never tried it before. This type of mindset is super toxic because you completely close yourself off to every suggestion. You're unable to even consider if it will work for you. Another mindset issue with dry drunk syndrome is refusing to acknowledge or talk about cravings. So just because we don't admit that we have them doesn't mean that they go away. This also puts the person at risk for relapse. And the last one is transfer addiction, which I discussed a lot in episode five, sugar addiction. It's really easy to give up drinking and then just replace it with something else. You're sober because you aren't 
drinking, but maybe you're now using disordered eating, sugar, exercise, or too many hours at work as your new unhealthy coping strategy. Just getting sober isn't the end of it. We also have to work to rebuild and improve our lives. When we drank, we put alcohol at the center of everything. It determined what our hobbies were and who we became friends with. So when you quit drinking, there's a lot of improvement that you need to make to your life. There's a lot of changes. But the good thing is that once you're sober, you can do anything that you want. You can fix your life in any way that you want. It may seem overwhelming in the beginning, but as long as we don't drink, we have all the power to improve our lives. Another defense mechanism is minimization. So we'll compare ourselves to the conventional idea of what an alcoholic is. So that would be someone who's completely destroyed their life, is homeless, and drinks in the morning. As long as we're not that bad, we can't have a problem with alcohol. So I often pointed out how I have a good job and I never drink in the morning, except for the weekends, of course, when I slept till nine and was the first person at the bar when it opened to get brunch at 11. But we try to minimize how bad our drinking actually is to protect ourselves from the shame that comes with having an alcohol problem. So this is really similar to denial too. So you don't have to consider yourself an alcoholic to live your best sober life. It's enough to just recognize that alcohol causes more problems than good for you. Projection of blame is another common strategy, and this is when the drinker blames everyone around them for the negative consequences of their drinking. I blamed other people for making me drink too much. I blamed the cocktails for being too strong, and I blamed the food that I ate or didn't eat. So I always had an excuse, and there was a person or thing at fault for everything. It was never me. Blaming others doesn't help us in any way. Even if the blame is deserved, we're still in control of our own lives and how we choose to move forward. Living in blame and victim mentality only keeps us stuck where we are. This mindset prevents us from ever being happy and improving our lives. So if you are blaming others, I would encourage you to just evaluate that. Just start being aware that you're doing it. That's the first step. Rationalization probably comes after denial, and this is when the drinker starts to realize that their drinking may actually be a problem, but they still don't want to stop drinking. So someone in denial will say, everything is fine, but someone who is trying to rationalize will have a list of excuses like, I know I've been drinking a lot, but it's only because work has been so stressful lately. They don't want to admit that they actually don't have any control over their drinking or that they may need to get sober. So rationalizing makes them feel like there's a good reason to continue drinking. So it's the use of weak but plausible arguments to either justify something that is difficult to accept or to make it seem like it's really not that bad. So drinkers may rationalize they're drinking by saying that alcohol is their only way of coping, there's nothing else to do, there's no point in living if life can't be enjoyed, the only people who drink in the morning are alcoholics, or that everybody does it. I was a really big rationalizer, so I recognized my drinking was different right from the beginning, but I rationalized it for, for almost the entire time. 
I rationalized that I had to drink every day because I needed to practice moderation. That if I skipped a day of drinking, it would be useless because I needed to learn how to moderate and not drinking wouldn't help me with that goal. I woke up a lot saying like, oh, I'm never drinking again. And then by 3 p.m. I'd be rationalizing that I didn't mean it and I do actually need to drink tonight so that I can practice moderation because that's the goal. I really believed myself that if I practice enough, I could learn how to do it. So what I know now is that drinking isn't a skill. It's not something that we can learn how to do. You can either drink moderately or you can't. So the best advice that I have for you if you're stuck in any of these harmful mentalities is to take a good, honest look at your life. If you need to talk through it with a therapist or a trusted friend, then do that because we need to learn how to be honest with ourselves. When I finally quit drinking, it was because I was able to take an honest look at my life and see it for what it was. I saw how deluded I was for thinking that I could learn to moderate even though I'd been trying and failing for five years. I saw how alcohol was holding me back from every single goal I wanted to achieve. David Goggins calls this the accountability mirror, and I highly recommend that you check out his book, Can't Hurt Me. I'll link it in the show notes. So lying to ourselves doesn't benefit us in any way. The only way that we can begin to change is by finally being honest and realistic. You can't improve your life until you can see how you contribute to your current life. I was unhappy about my weight, and then when I looked in the accountability mirror, I realized I was eating a lot of mozzarella sticks, pizza, and drinking every day. Of course I wasn't losing weight. I was upset about my marriage, and when I looked in the accountability mirror, I realized how dramatic, reactive, and overly sensitive I was, which actually ended up being all alcohol-induced, but maybe those qualities weren't really helpful to improving my marriage. So I want to encourage you guys to take a look in the accountability mirror this week. What are your goals, and how are you holding yourself back from achieving them? Is it your mindset? the food that you're eating, the toxic friends that you're keeping in your life, or is it you're drinking? Maybe it's even that you're suffering from dry drunk syndrome, or maybe you're, you're hoping you can moderate someday. So this exercise helped me free myself from letting the scale dictate my worth, and it also allowed me to accept that I am not someone who can ever drink. So being honest with ourselves is so important. So let me know on social if you do this activity and what you learn about yourself, and I'll talk to you guys next week. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. 
We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.